but the revelation of Jesus Christ, what John got to see. And because he sat where the others wouldn't sit, because he stood where the others wouldn't stand, and because he got to serve when the others didn't get to serve, God let him see what the others didn't see. And oh, thank God what John saw. I'm glad in his gospel he saw or beheld the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And when you talk about Jesus, he is a sight to behold. And then in that little epistle, in that third chapter, 1 John 3, he said, Behold what manner of love hath the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. When you talk about the love of God, and we are going to talk about it in a moment, it is a sight to behold. But when you come to the book of the Revelation, he sees more than a lamb. He sees more than love. He sees the Lord, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he sees a land, hallelujah, that is fairer than day. And the more the news I see and the more sick I see this world becoming, Mentally, morally, sinfully sick. I'm glad there's a home prepared where the saints abide. Just over in the glory land. And I'm not looking for a city that's being built up. I'm looking for one that's coming down. And Abraham looked for it. And John the Revelator saw it. And one day the blood washed is going to live in it. And we'll be home forever and forever. And in this first chapter of this great book of the Revelation, God let John see the book, God's divine plan. God let John see the bride, God's divine people. But we've been interested, and we're going to, honestly, we're going to move on from these three verses, but let's squeeze the juice out of it while we're here. God lets him see the book, God's divine plan. He lets him see the bride, God's divine people. But in these verses, God lets him see the beloved God's divine person. There are four questions answered in the first chapter of the book of the Revelation. The question, whom? Whom has given this revelation? Whom is it from? Well, it's from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. God answers through. How did it come through this revelation? Through the Holy Spirit, through the anointing of God's inspiration. It says, by, uh, by who did we get this revelation? John, our brother in tribulation, for. Who is this revelation for? It is for you and I, that we know Jesus and God's plan for the ages. And can I say it's always been about Jesus? It's still all about Jesus, and it always will be about Jesus. Everything we are, everything we ever hope to be is wrapped up, tied up in God's divine person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And last week we looked at verse number 5, at this glorious name, the glorious name of Christ. And we looked at that five-fold name given to him in verse number 5. Jesus Christ, faithful witness, first begotten of the dead, Prince of the kings of the earth. I just want to say glory to God, that's him. Do you know him today? Do you love him today? Does your life honor him today? Thank God for the glorious name of Christ. 
But I want to look today in the last part of verse 5 and most of verse number 6. And I want you to see today the glorious work of Christ. Not only did John see who he was, but John got to see what he did. And actually what you have in verse 5 connected to verse 6 is a praise, or let me use this word, it's a doxology. You remember the old time churches at the end of the church, they'd say, all right, everybody stand, let's stand and sing the doxology. And they'd sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. By the way, there's nothing wrong with that. We had a fellow and a lady leave our church one time. They got mad at me because I would always say, if you love the Lord, say amen, or let all God's people say amen. And that woman said, I'm not Joe Arthur's shouting puppet. I'll say amen when I want to say amen. Well, you don't got to do it if you don't want to. But I'm here to tell you, he's worthy of a hallelujah. I remember being in systematic theology in seminary, and we talked about theology, the study of God. Bibliology, the study of the Bible. Eschatology, the study or the doctrine of last things. But I don't think I ever had a course on doxology, the doctrine of praise. And I want to tell you something, praise is is in the Bible just like anything else. He's worthy of our praise. And in fact, if I read my Bible right, there's only two qualifications you have to meet. To just praise the Lord. Number one, everything that hath breath. So is anybody here today breathing? Raise your hand if you're breathing. I know some of you are because I smell the garlic you're taking all the way up here. Now I want to tell you garlic takers, it may cure high blood pressure and everything else, but it don't do nothing for your halitusis. Kind of get an amen. If you're breathing, everything that hath breath. Praise the Lord. So if you're breathing, raise your right hand. Second qualification, we rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Lord, have mercy. So if you're breathing, you've already met one qualification. If you're saved and your name's written in heaven, you got the second qualification. So just take your spell. Amen. And what this is in verse 5, it is a praise. And notice how he words it. Verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth. Now, here he starts his doxology. Unto him. That's the beginning of this praise. Unto him. Anytime you read that, especially in the New Testament, it's the beginning of a doxology, the beginning of a praise. Unto him. Look down in the last part of verse number 6. He finishes what he starts in verse 5. Now unto him, and look at the last part of verse number 6. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And I love this good Bible word said out loud. Amen. So this is the beginning of a praise. Now unto him. And he finishes in verse 6. Be glory and dominion. Forever and ever. I like that, don't you? Unto him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's do a little responsive this morning. And you just help me out. Say it with me. Unto him. Say it again. Unto him. 
Finish it. Be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Don't that make you feel good to say? Let's do that one more time. Unto him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. But right in the middle of this doxology. Boy, when I saw this, I like to lost my choir robe. Right in the middle of this doxology. He is telling you the reason for our praise. He is telling you the purpose of this doxology. Now he tells us in the opening line the person of it. Unto him. Not to the angels, not to the prophet, not to John the Revelator, but unto him, Jesus Christ. He is the person of our praise. And then in the last part, he gives you the power of our praise. The glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. But stuck right in the middle of the person of our praise and the power of our praise, he interjects the purpose of our praise. Why do we love him? Why do we ascribe praise to him? Why would we just stop what we were doing and say, unto him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And by the way, you do understand where John the Revelator is. When the Holy Ghost comes on him on the Lord's day and inspires him to write this. He is not on a Caribbean cruise. He is not walking down the beach, sipping on lemonade, sitting in an umbrella, watching the tide roll by. Brother, he has been boiled in tar. He has been chunked on a deserted island called Patmos, left to die a death of loneliness, disease, the attacks of wild beasts, and starvation. Now, I don't know what kind of week you had. I know what kind of week I had. But praise God, I I didn't starve to death this week. I didn't get tarred and feathered, at least physically, as a few people lit my world up. But I didn't get tarred and feathered this week. I've not been devoured by a wild beast. My wife and I have literally had one whole week without one disagreement. And I'm sitting there on the inside wondering when the volcano will go off again. And I get a witness in the church house. I said that because most of you henpecked fellas would never even think that, much less have the nerve to say it. And if I'm not here tonight, you know where I am. I'm in Southern Regional 101, 102, and 103. I don't know what kind of week you had, but I have not been bold and tar, have you? I've not been left on a deserted island to die a slow, agonizing death of starvation and attacked by a wild beast. But yet this man has been put on this island, left to die, deserted, devoured by the beast, die of starvation. But yet in the midst of his terrible, awful, I mean literally, ladies and gentlemen, awful circumstance, he gets up off the sand wipes the tar out of his eye and looks up and says, Unto him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now somebody, Lord have mercy, 
somebody that can praise the Lord in the midst of that kind of situation has got something going. But when I read the purpose of his praise, we got the same thing going on as he had. We have the same reason to praise the Lord and offer him a doxology of praise as the writer John. Because the verses that I'm going to read does not say me. It does not say I. But it says us. Now, I'm glad he loved me. I'm glad he died for me. And I'm glad I trusted him. I'm glad I love him. I'm glad I can praise him. But the reason for John's doxology, we got the same treasure. We have the same reason placed at our disposal. So let's look in the middle of this doxology, the middle of this praise. Look at verse number 5. Unto him. Now before he gets to him, be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. He mentions three reasons for his praise. Now unto him. Say them out loud with me and underline them in your text. Unto him that loved us. He didn't say love me, loved I, loved us. Unto him that loved us. Oh, it gets better. Number two. And washed us. He didn't say wash me, wash I, washed us. It gets better. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Glory. Come down to verse number six. And hath made me. No. Made us. And if we get to that this morning, we may get raptured before we leave this building. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. And then he finishes. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He gives the reason for his praise. And if there is an Old Testament verse that prophesies this New Testament verse, it's got to be Psalm 126 and verse 3. You know what the Bible said in Psalm 126 and verse number 3? Here it is. The Lord hath done great things for us. Whereof we are glad. That ought to be our memory verse for this week. Psalm 126 and verse 3. The Lord hath done great things for us. Whereof we are glad. You think we might can memorize that verse before we leave this morning? Psalm 123 and verse 6 said with me, The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Who are the us's? Who are the us's? Of Revelation 1, 5 and 6. 
Well, John said he's writing to the church. Well, who is the church? All right. Anybody here ever been regenerated by the Holy Ghost, born again, washed in the blood, and got baptized into the body of Christ? Mm, That's you and I. The body, the building, the bride of Christ. Unto him that did it for us. Boy, I'm glad he died for me, but boy, I'm glad he died for us. And this is how much confidence I got in the Bible. I don't have any reservation whatsoever at all to stand in any pulpit across this nation or either around the world in person or online. I have not the slightest reservation that I can stand and take a microphone and tell whoever's listening to me, he not only died for me, he not only loved me, he not only did it for me, but he did it for us. I want you right now to turn to that person beside of you and say, wake up, brother and sister, it is for us. It is for us. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. And notice this threefold description in the last part of verse 5 and verse 6 on the glorious work of Christ, what he has done for us. Well, look at the first one. Unto him that loved us. You say, Brother Joe, that's really not a deep thought. Let it sink in just a minute. He loved us. Do you realize what a miracle that is? That he loved us. I don't have time, but I'd like to start in Genesis and bring you to Revelation and describe us. And by the time I got through describing us, you would be thankful for that line, loved us. Because from Genesis to Revelation, real quickly, let me tell you who uses are. Now, this is going to be hard on your narcissism. This is going to be hard on your pride. You ready? You know who the us's are? Sorry. Low down. Good for nothing. Wicked. Miserable. Undefiled. Full of hell and condemnation. You say, well, Brother Joe, don't be so hard on yourself. God's harder on me than I am. In fact, this is how bad off us is were. There is none that doeth good nor seeketh after God. End of sentence. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Bam. So death is passed upon all men, for all have sinned. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Your sins have left you scarred and marred like scarlet. 
That's what we are. Your sins have separated you from God. That's how bad it is. It is so bad it says that if you die in your sin, where I am, you cannot come. The Bible said our mind is filthy. Our imagination is vain. Our heart is black with lust and defilement. Our whole being is ensnared by the chains and the gravity of sin. According to the Bible description of us, we can't live right. We can't do right. I mean, there's nothing about us attractive at all. And by the time he gets through describing us, it looks like us are dangling over hell and the fire is about to burn the rope and any moment we're going to plunge into it. And can I tell you today, the only reason why any of us will escape the damnation of an eternal fiery hell is because... He loved us. I can't get over that. He loved us. Who is included in the us? Adam and Eve that broke the commandment. Abraham that lied. Noah that got drunk. Moses that committed murder. David that committed adultery. Elijah that doubted and questioned God. Do I need to go on? Rahab the harlot who wasted the first part of her life on the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life. Every living, breathing human being from Genesis chapter 2 that came from Adam and Eve when he breathed into their nostrils the breath of life and they became a living soul. Every single human being, no matter how bad, no matter how wicked, no matter how demon-possessed, no matter how defiled by the chains of sin, he loved us. When I see them little boys and girls in children's church, I don't have any problem believing that, that he loved us. I see them little babies in the nursery and the mom and their innocence laying in their mother's arms. I don't have a problem understanding that God loved them. But boy, I know me like nobody else in this room knows me. And the very thought that the sovereign, perfect, righteous, holy, infinite God of heaven could love a wretch and a a sinner and a biodolical man that ought to be in hell right now with my back broke by God the thought that he could love hey I'm not tore up that he could love somebody like you because I don't know you like I know me but I am absolutely uh, in awe that he could love me undeserving hell bound had nothing to offer too wicked to live and too wicked to die but aren't you glad he looked beyond our fault and saw our need and in spite of us and not because of us he loved us that is a miracle 
that he loved us. I am so glad that my Father in heaven tells in the wonderful book that he has given. Wonderful things in the Bible I see, but this is the dearest that Jesus loved me. They taught us this song in Sunday school. It's probably the greatest song ever been written, not just for children, but all of us. Jesus loves me. This I know cause the Bible tells me so. Do you realize today, ladies and gentlemen, that is a love like the world has never known. They all account the love the world recognizes is what I call frivolous love. You do something good for me and I love you. Or if I like certain characteristics about you, I love you. And I know the Bible does say that love covered the multitude of sin. I've seen mamas take up for their children. They know they're little devils. They know they lied. They know they did it. They know that they painted the town red. They know they stole the Mother Mary statue. I mean, they know they did it. But they'll say, oh, but they're good kids. He's a good old boy. He just burnt down to high school, but he's a good old boy. He's a good old boy, preacher. You know why that mama's love is so strong? It covers that boy's faults and failures. And by the way, men, that's why your mama was nicer to you than your wife is going to be nicer to you. Even though your wife took your hand and said, I love you, she didn't birth you, and she's going to have more compassion on you. Can I get a witness in the church house? I mean, I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, most of the world's love is you got something good about you that I like and because of that I'm going to love you and you've done this for me and because of that I'm going to love you but when you come to the love of God he knows every rotten sorry low down thing about you and I but he loves us anyhow we had nothing to give he wouldn't have took it if we offered it to him because it was condemned and dirty and rotten like all of everything else we were and had but I'm glad when I was nothing and had nothing and could do nothing there's no man that cared for my soul the sovereign God of the glory world who is perfect and sinless and immaculate and eternal and undefiled he loved us Wow. This hit me the other day. I had some Calvinists giving me a hard time. I didn't believe in sovereignty. Oh, did I ring their number. I just like to leave people out. I love that. And I said, let me give you a lesson on sovereignty. God created man knowing that the majority of them would reject him. You want one better than that? God breathed in the man breath, knowing that some would spit it back in his face in cursing and blasphemy. But he gave him breath anyhow. God is not nervous about being who he is. He knew man would reject him. 
He knew man would blaspheme and curse and swear by his name. But yet he created man anyway. And he gave man breath anyway. And by the way, sent Jesus to the cross and bankrupted heaven anyway. Knowing they would reject him. I don't know about you ladies and gentlemen. That's not just love. That's sovereign love. That's supernatural love. That's love beyond our comprehension ladies and gentlemen. He loved us. And let me just tell you something. Whether you've been saved five seconds, five years, 50 years, or if you're old enough to be saved, 500 years, he doesn't love you any more now than he did day one. Now you want something that'll really blow your mind? How many believes that statement I just said? Whether you've been saved five seconds, five minutes, five years, 50 years, 500 years, he don't love you anymore now than he ever did. you believe that? Can you hold on to this one? He loved you that much before you was ever born. He loved you that much before you were ever saved. He loved you that much before you ever had the thought of loving him. You said, do you have any scriptures? Do you think I would preach something after all of these years that I didn't have scripture for? How much do you want? Will one good one right now suffice for the time? Romans 5, 8. But God. Commendeth his love. Toward us. You think I'm going to throw away my King James Bible. You are crazy. But God commendeth his love toward us. That while we were yet sinners. Well, I wish Lee was here today. He'd help me on this one. Help me a little bit of that. While we were yet sinners. Say that a couple times. While we were yet sinners. While we were yet sinners. While we were yet sinners. Can I enlarge on that phrase just a minute? You know what that means? While we were yet sinners. While we were wicked and ungodly and undefiled and unlovable and hell bound. While we were yet sinners. But God committed his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us. He loved us. The us that were blinded by the God of this world. The us that walked according to the course of this world. The us that was born in sin and conceived in sin. The us that the sins of this world and the lust of the flesh and the flames of hell had got upon our soul and we were going down. And the only reason why we didn't go down, love reached further down than man could reach up. He loved us. Glory. Unto him that loved us. I was at the airport the other day and this fellow come up to me and said, 
How you doing, bro? I said, better than I deserve. And he must go to one of them strange churches or something because he said, oh, man, oh, don't talk bad about yourself. You're special. You know that. Man, don't talk like that. Don't be so hard on yourself. Don't be so hard on yourself. I said, son, God's harder on me than I am. He said, you mean you don't deserve anything? No. He said, you mean you've not done anything today that makes you deserve the blessings of the Lord? I said, son, I don't want to bust your bubble here at the airport because by the time you get the security, your bubble's going to be busted anyway. And I'm just here to tell you, I've not done anything today. You've not done anything today. And I knew he'd watched Andy Griffin when I, when he smiled when I said this. I said, I've not done nothing today. You've not done nothing today. Goober and Andy and Gomer or Laurel Lee Hobbs had done anything today to deserve the good blessings of God. God doesn't deal with you and I on the merits of what we deserve. Ladies and gentlemen, if God dealt with this congregation, let me take it back. If not the congregation. If God dealt with this preacher on the merits of what I deserve, I would not be your preacher. I would not be your pastor. I would not be standing here today. I'd already be cast in the doom of the damned of the darkness. But I'm glad he looked beyond my fault and he saw my need. He loved us. They found these words inscribed on the wall of an insane asylum. They said, whoever penned down these words were crazy. But I, it sounds like they had good sense to me. If we would think the ocean filled, though the skies were parchment made, and every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above, would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. They put this little chorus with it. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angel song. I can hear Jim Smith on one side and Clarence Inslee on the other side singing that chorus, Oh, love of God, how rich, how pure, how measureless and strong. Ladies and gentlemen, do you realize the miracle of that text? Oh, that he loved us. That he loved us. The lost, the wicked, the undefiled, the undeserving. He loved us. No wonder John said, Unto him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Let me just touch this a little bit and we'll cut the bologna sandwich off because it's time to go. Because you check out at 12 whether I'm done or not. But unto him that loved us. And before you can wrap your mind around it, he eases into the second reason and says, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. 
How many would like me to take that verse apart, that little phrase sometime, and preach on every word of that? Washed us from our sins in His own blood. We'll be here to New Year's if I take my time on that one. Washed us. The Greek word is lutros. And it means to loosen the hold or break the chain. It's the same word translated in John chapter number 11. Where Jesus said about Lazarus, Lutros, loose him, break the tie, let him go. You say, what in the world does that word washed have to do with something being loosed? How many of you fellas ever put a big old stain on your shirt? And if you're like me, I don't know how to wash clothes. If I live by myself, I just throw them all the way and go buy me some more. But you hate to go on down and tell her she's got a stain. Because she knows that when it's a deep and bad, she can't just toss it in the dirty clothes thing and wash it. It's going to have to have some extra care. But she's got a little old bottle up there in the, above the washing machine. It's got different kind of names. My favorite one is Shout It Out. Now, that's a Pentecostal version of that. The Baptists just use regular Clorox. It smells and makes you sick. But they got others, but my favorite was Shout It Out. But she'll take whatever the liquid there is in that little bottle and she'll literally pour it on that stain. Then she will rub it in that stain. And when she does, a chemical reaction takes place. There is a chemical in that detergent or in that stain remover that breaks the stain. Whoo! And it literally gets up under the stain. And whatever grip, hold your hand up, son. And whatever, he's scared, open it up real. And whatever grip that stain has on that, that detergent said, get out of here. That stain's pulled away from that garment. It's loosed. It breaks away from that garment. Because that detergent's gone deeper than the... Oh, because that detergent has broken that hold and got up under the stain. And literally, here's what happens chemically. It literally lifts up the stain, pushes it up away from the garment, and that liquid just removes it, and it's washed, it's loosened, it's broken. You say, what has that got to do with us? Oh, I'm about to die to tell you. Don, you and your family, come up here real quick. Get ready to sing a verse or two if I could still go free. I believe you could sing it better in that song than I can tell in this sermon. But while they're coming.
What has that got to do with us? Something had a hold of your mind, your heart, your soul, your life. It was choking you and taking you to hell. But there's a heavenly detergent called the immaculate blood of Jesus Christ. And it went deeper than the stain is gone. It went deeper than the stain. And it lifted it up. And it broke it loose. And it's a gone. And now you're free from the condemnation. Washed us. Loosed us. From our sins. And his own blood. I want to tell you something ladies and gentlemen. You can try everything the world has to offer you. From sanitation legislation to organization. And the only thing that's going to break the power of sin in your life. The blood that goes deeper than the stain has gone. You ask me why I'm happy. I'll tell you why. My sin's gone. Glory, glory, glory. Let's stand together.